Hey, this is Thinking and Drinking. I'm your host, Bart Almond. Over the last 30 years or so, I've worked for major record companies, working with major artists such as Alabama, the Dixie Chicks, and Florida Georgia Line. I've also been writing songs for the past 15 years, have over 50 cuts, two number ones, and made a lot of friends along the way. I'm going to be talking to some of those friends about songs, life on the road, and just life in general. I hope you have as much fun as I will. J.T. Harding is a force of nature, period. He came out of the gritty streets of Gross Point, Michigan, and came flying into Nashville after a crazy stint in Los Angeles. He's had massive hits as a writer for Kenny Chesney, Blake Shelton, Dirks Bentley, Jake Owen, Keith Urban, and numerous others. Pretty much all the biggies on today's country airwaves. He also wrote a smashing tell-most memoir called Party Like a Rockstar, which is out now and you can get it on Amazon and wherever you buy your books. Basically telling his story and what an interesting tale it is. Go buy it. If you're driving, pull over. If you're standing, sit down, because you're going to laugh. JT has great stories, and he's a great storyteller. Here's our buddy, JT Harding. JT Harding, welcome to Thinking and Drinking. Hello, hello. <laughs> if you're in your car, flash your lights. If you're at work, drum on your desk. And if you're still in bed, dance on your back. This is hit songwriter JT Harding, and you're on Thinking and Drinking, Drinking, Drinking. Woo! I got to tell you, I was just at the Bluebird with some people from L.A. They had these gummy bears. I got to tell you, I thought it was just the craft services, but I'm feeling funny from them. Anyway. Interesting. Yes, yes. 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 My brand new book, Party Like a Rockstar, is out right now. If you're listening in, in Kentucky, I hope you can read there. All right. That wasn't necessary. Come on, man. <laughs> Good to see you, Bart. What's happening? Good to see you, man. Thank you so much for coming out here to Disgraceland. I absolutely love it. I love it. This is uh, this is where the magic happens. Yes, periodically. <laughs> yes, I, I like that uh, NRA guitar on the wall. It, not only can you play chords, you can uh, shoot fireworks off. Well, while you you're can. Singing. You know what? Hits are hits. <laughs> yes. So you can shoot hits. Yes. Right. Right. Uh, brings number one with a bullet. A whole new meaning. Okay. <laughs> Great to see you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Seriously, dude, I haven't seen you in forever. It's so great to see you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I haven't changed much. You know, I, I've started dyeing my hair. Other than Your hair is a little darker. Yes, I was, gonna, yes, I was yes. thinking that, you know, it's, it's uh, not as gray as my beard, but uh, it is what it is. <laughs> so anyway, dude, seriously, uh, Gross Point, Michigan. Yes, yes. I was, uh, I, was, I was born and raised in South Detroit. Lots of cowboys and country music there. Uh, yes. Is, is that the question? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, are you, are, seriously, I mean, as we're getting into this, are you from a musical family? I mean, in Michigan, or are you the only guy in the family? Great, that- great question. I was adopted at birth. Uh, okay. My, my birth certificate is an apology from a condom company. It's hanging on my wall <laughs> in between my gold records. I was adopted at birth uh, by the, 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 the family, the Hardings. I wouldn't trade them for anything in the world. Oh, no, man. They were a huge sports family. My dad is as tall as the Jolly Green Giant. And for those of you that don't know what I look like, I'm just kind of a normal, average-sized guy. And he caught a touchdown in the Rose Bowl. He actually, and I what? talk about this in my book, he used to carry me like a football when I was a baby, and my mom would really get on him about it. But they encouraged me, and they took me to concerts, and they, you know, I loved MTV, and they, I would grow my hair, and I, you know, there's probably 17 holes in the ozone layer from all the hairspray I used. The Aquanet? Uh, the Aquanet. Yes. But they encouraged me and let me be myself, and it's, it's really incredible. I'm always... Of 160 some shows we've done, and it's amazing how many people that are writers and or players had no other musicians in their families. I mean, did you start just loving music, listening to the radio? Was there a guitar in the house? No, how did you there start? Wasn't a doing guitar. That? These are great questions. So I loved listening to the radio. I was jumping around with a hockey stick for a guitar to my Kiss records. <laughs> And then Bart MTV came into my living room and it was like Dorothy going from black and white Kansas to Technicolor Oz. It just blew my mind. I wanted to crawl into the TV and be as close to this magical world as I could. So I, I put bands together. I was in the Battle of Bands. I was only in eighth grade. And then I looked on the back of all my CDs and they all said... 
Sunset Boulevard, California. So off to California I went to try to get a record deal and get closer to this magical music. So I was in bands, but I took guitar lessons. My parents, of course, signed me up for it, but it felt like math homework, trying to match my hands to the chords. And really? I was a natural at posing in front of the mirror and pointing at the imaginary <laughs> girls. And there were kids in my neighborhood that were great at drums and guitars. So I was always, you know, the front man. And, you know, and, and as you can probably tell out there, I hate attention. I'm wearing a leopard print suit. So I loved being the lead singer. But eventually the bands, the music wasn't sounding like I wanted it to. So I just started sitting down and teaching myself guitar. I, I can't play guitar that well, but my songs yes, are, my, well, I play the same chords over and over in different yeah. variations and it keeps my songs catchy. So it's helped me. My what? limitations have honestly helped me, you know? I mean, I can't play like Eddie Van Halen, but my guitar is taped up like his, so I look cool. Why Why did you think you would be good at this? I mean, was it just your attitude and you just were stormtrooping through the guitar? I mean, why did, why did you think you would be... And I'm not... No, no, that's a great question. Uh, I just knew that I wanted to be on stage and be a singer. But then as life goes on yeah. and you know, I was out in LA uh, stuck at the intersection of uh, Brett Michaels hairpiece and Eddie Vedder's flannel. <laughs> I felt, you know, very out of place. <laughs> Heavy metal's great. I love it, but I can't play guitar like that. Grunge changed the world, but I wasn't angry like that. Yeah. I was just strumming songs on acoustic guitar and then Counting Crows and Sheryl Crow came out. I, I saw Bruce Springsteen in concert. Counting Sheryl Crow. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And uh, I discovered, you know, I heard The Dance by Garth Brooks. And I thought, this is kind of, man, I'd like to write songs like this. And it's a natural progression. I just started really thinking, I'm not going to make it playing cover songs. And I want to hear my own songs on the radio. And I just started writing songs any way I could. And it takes a lot of bad songs to write a good one. But that's a great question. I just always had a drive. I, I thought I could yeah. just do it. Yeah. yeah. Um, why did you go to L.A. instead of New York or Nashville? That's a great question. Uh, I... I knew that I didn't have any money and I would rather have a broken air conditioner than a broken heater. If you're going to be a starving okay. artist, kids do it in the sun. And I didn't even know Nashville was uh, a music city. Uh, no pun intended. And Seriously? I was actually born in Nashville. No, I didn't even know the only country I knew was the one that were the songs that broke through like achy breaky heart or okay. nine to five. I knew there was country music, right? But it wasn't really on my radar. But I went huge, to huge, 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 monumental hits were the songs that you knew exactly yeah. exactly yeah um and then and then when i got to los angeles i was working at tower records the store and they put me in charge of the <sighs> country station and i was able to take cds home or promo copies and listen to them so i could answer questions for customers yeah. and that's when i heard vince gill whose voice sounds like oh, christmas man. morning and i heard mm. the dina carter records and all this stuff and i just thought yeah. wow this stuff is fantastic and that's what i really started honing in i wasn't trying to write country but i was writing more on acoustic guitar yeah and the first demo tape i ever made was with money i won on vh1 rock and roll jeopardy i know <laughs> i don't even remember that that's so awesome yes yes so do you remember any of the questions oh they were real easy they would say <laughs> what's this band and it would be a big picture of green day but here's the challenge of that off the side of the camera are lights that go up like the start of a of a nascar race and you okay. couldn't buzz in until the lights got all the way to the top or else you'd be locked out of the question okay so once i mastered that i just like annihilated the competition yeah some of the questions were even wrong they said what is the number one single from the van halen album of the same name and i was like well excuse me paul the song is jumped the album's called 1984 survey says and everyone start laughing and they'd say do it again we can't have the audience laughing but um there's some, I think I knew more than the people writing the friggin' questions. Yeah. <laughs> That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> how much money did you win? Uh, I won about uh, $2,000. So I bought really? a little drum machine, was making demos. Yeah. And then I had the demo, but I didn't know anyone in the music business. And this is why I wrote the book. It's the book I always wish I had. So you know what I did, Bart? I borrowed a FedEx jacket from a girl I knew. Her roommate worked there. Come on. And like, that was a true story. And like Obi-Wan <laughs> Kenobi walking into the Death Star, I walked past every security gate, every A&R guy chewing on a golf tee in his office, and I blink, 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 put my demo in every mailbox at every record company uh, in Los Angeles. And if you think that didn't get me any attention, you're wrong. The cops were after me for weeks, but uh, I did get noticed, <laughs> and uh, someone eventually offered me a record deal. Who? 
Uh, EMI Records, yeah. And then they folded, not because of me. And that's when I started working. I didn't want to go back to Tower Records. Okay. So, but I had this finished record, so I started taking it around. Everyone had record labels then. Madonna had record labels, and Limp yeah. Biscuit had record labels, and Bon Jovi had record labels. And I met a man with a record label that I call in the book "The Man in the Sequin Pajamas," and he took me around the world. Don't <laughs> I don't want to say his real name because if you say it three times, he'll appear in a in a cloud of smoke. Right? Right. I don't want that. <laughs> but Lincoln Park had a record label, and they started letting me work for them and open up for them. And that's a kid got my CD in the audience, gave it to his dad. And that's how I got my publishing deal. And I got to tell you something, if you're listening, Lincoln park, I said, let me open up for them. And if you've never stood yeah. on stage in front of 30,000 people Dude. holding a guitar and they're all saying, you suck, you suck. Yeah. It's an incredible thing. It's fun. <laughs> yes. It's fun. I got booed off many nights. So seriously about, yeah. about, about that, man, uh, how did you get the job with Lincoln park? What were you doing? How did you start opening for them? I mean, was that was that JTX that you were doing at that time? Yeah, I was called JTX, but I was called okay. JT Harding. So I worked for this other guy, and my main job was to pass out backstage passes and make sure the parties backstage were wild and themed every night. So you were going through the crowd looking for hot girls and cute yes, guys and, and whatever. And being chased by boyfriends. Right. Some nights. Exactly. Yeah. And other things like, <laughs> you know, uh, d just, it, it just, you know, he would, this, this is not Lincoln Park. This is another guy, the man in the sequin pajamas. He had great exactly. ideas as well. I remember he, he would fly in this lady who had a little knee-high Walmart karaoke machine, and she would sing Christian songs. It would be like, the blood oh ran red. And, you know, he, you know, there'd be fluorescent lights and girls. I mean, it looked like the Bride of Frankenstein's bachelorette party backstage most nights, all the pierced lips and everything. So word spread about this guy, me, who threw these big backstage parties. But I was still writing songs the whole time. I wasn't going to work for any more bands. I had to get back to L.A. and start woodshedding. and Because yeah. I had two record deals by that time that fell through. But Holy you just got to keep going. Yeah, no, and then and I, I say it now like it's no big deal, but it was heartbreaking at the time. Yeah. 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 So then Linkin Park called, and they had their own record label. They were very low maintenance. They were selling out arenas all over the world. I basically would set their Xbox up, make sure they had food, and that was it. And I would work on songs. I would not bother them with it. I didn't say, listen to my music. But they eventually saw me playing, and they were like, hey, we, you should open up for us sometimes. And one night in Kansas, it was Slipknot, then me, and then Linkin Park, and they forgot to announce me. And I'm standing out there with an acoustic <laughs> guitar. Bart, everything not tied down was thrown at me. I mean, I was bleeding from the head. There's a picture in my book of Chester coming to my rescue, and I'm bleeding from the head. It was fantastic. Everyone's booing, oh, and I gosh. said, all right, hang on a second. I was playing original material, and I said, yeah. is there anyone here in Kansas that likes Ozzy Osbourne? They started yes. going crazy. And I said, well, here's something for you. Here's some Joan Osborne. What if God was one of us? I mean, lighters, shoes, coins, chairs, everything was being bombed on me. Like the food fight scene in Animal House. But oh I lived gosh. to tell about it. And uh, it landed me a writing deal. So here I am. And they were incredibly <laughs> nice guys. Yeah. <laughs> so what did your job start out as with them? Just fill in the backstage um uh with lincoln park yeah with lincoln so park lincoln park check this out there's six guys in the band they were gigantic they had rules no <laughs> smoking band. no drinking of course no drugs and no guests of any kind allowed backstage that's how really uh, this is how tightly not in a bad way this is how yeah. it was like an army so what i would do uh set up their xbox make sure uh, I mean, they wore their street clothes on stage, so they didn't have costumes. Right. And I'd make sure they had Sharpies <laughs> for their meet and greets. It was, they were very low maintenance and really nice. And they had food backstage, but that's about it. They all had their wives with them or their girlfriends. It was super low maintenance. And I just learned a lot about, wow, look at, all, look at these six guys shooting an arrow at the same target yeah. and, and knocking it out of the park. That's the way to tour, isn't yeah. it? Totally. Yeah, totally yeah. And, uh, and they were super nice and they were having the time of their lives. And Chester, you know, the singer, unfortunately, yeah. uh, passed away. But um, I, I can't say enough great yeah. things about Lincoln Park. Hard workers. Great band. What, so what made you quit that? Did you just know you needed to go back? And no, it's great, that's a great um, question. I got a writing deal when I was on tour with them. So How'd that I was, happen? I was passing out my CD. By their tour bus, they were like, oh, it's the guy that got booed off stage. How's it right. going? And uh, I would just pass out the six or seven song CD I had, and people were passing it around. 
And someone in Los Angeles called me and said, hey, we have offices in Nashville. You should you need to get to Nashville and, and start being a songwriter there. And that's how it happened. Really? So yeah. so then you moved to Nashville. Yeah. And then I started coming here and I learned very quickly for you songwriters out there. You can't just dip your and I know Bart knows this, but you can't just dip your toe in the water here. If yeah. you want to be successful. Songwriting is a full contact sport. You have to be here every day. You have to be in it to win it. And I, I looked around me and I said, wow, these successful songwriters aren't just messing around. Maybe yeah. Motley Crue or Van Halen or you know, Tracy Chapman or Adele, maybe they write 10 songs and put out an album. But in yeah. Nashville, you got to write hundreds of songs to get to a hit. And I don't know why that is, but it's, it, it's why that is. No, that's <laughs> amazing that you say that because I'm, I'm always blown away when I hear, I heard uh, Van Morrison talking to Howard Stern, I think it was, about an upcoming tour. And and Howard Stern says, how do you decide what songs to play? And Van Morrison went, oh, man, I don't know. I mean, I've written over 300 songs. And I went, 300 songs? <laughs> that's like that's, that's, that's two months that's in Nashville. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, that's like two years. No, yeah. Because, you know, 100, 150 songs a year exactly. for guys like us that were just writing, 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 writing. And obviously, we're not... We're Lincoln Park, write 12 songs, record 12 songs, tour for three years. Yes. Then write 12 songs, record 12 songs. That's not what our, our deal is when we're writing, you know, songs every, 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 every day. And so it was, it was just funny to hear him say that because. No, you're exactly right. And listen, I, I have songs that I think are just as good as Sangria that I wrote for Blake Shelton Absolutely. or Different for Girls that I wrote with, for Dirks Bentley. But for whatever reason, the magic and mystery of music, certain songs pop up. People like them. People record them. They become hits. So it's, it's hard to, you know, it, it's this unknown thing. I don't know why you have to write a lot of songs, but I just know that if I was writing one or two songs a month, I, I wouldn't be sitting here. It's just yeah. not enough in this, in this world, you know, Yeah, in this, in this climate or whatever you call it in Nashville. So how did you get your first pub deal? I mean, I know how, but who was it with? So it was in, uh, it was, they were called windswept Pacific. Can you take your microphone oh, yeah. and twist it up and just, sorry. No, I don't mind at all like that. There we go. Yeah. Oh, and talk like that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, okay, my first deal was with Windswept. Windswept, and they had an office yeah. here called Combustion. And I know this now, and I tell you know younger writers, maybe not young in age, but newer writers, you always kind of need your first deal. The yeah. best songs, the songs that you think are incredible, the best songs you've ever written are going to get you that first deal. But then you really got to hunker down and write songs that can be hits or change the world. Yeah. So I was signed to Combustion, and I was there for a few years, writing all the time. And then I lost that deal, which once again did not feel good. So two lost record deals, now a lost publishing deal. But very soon after that, I wrote <laughs> Somewhere With You for that Kenny Chesney put out and Smile that Uncle Cracker put out. So when I really thought I was at my lowest point... Very interesting how I came up with these songs that became my, yeah. my first hits when I didn't even have a deal. Man, yeah. that's awesome, dude. So, so who were you writing with when you, when you came to town and you just went, hey, my name is JT. I'm a songwriter. <laughs> yeah. Who'd you start writing with? How'd you start writing with people? Well, luckily, I had a publishing deal already, so they were setting up a lot of my rights. Okay. Most of the people... I don't remember their names or they're gone, but I remember writing with the Warren brothers who are great hit writers. I've heard of them. Very, yeah. Very early on. And then <laughs> it's very easy to throw his name around now, but I was still here for, for a couple of years. Uh, it's easy to throw his name around now cause he's so successful, but I started writing with Shane McAnally who mm. at the time was sleeping on his sister's couch. A lot of people don't know that he was in Nashville for 14 years before he had a hit. So my first two hits somewhere with you and alone with you we're both with him, his first two hits as well. It's, a, it's amazing to think of how many spray tans ago that was for him. But uh, <laughs> So I was writing with Shane, and, and then, you know, I was writing with Uncle Cracker, who hadn't had anything in a while. And, I, I mean, I, I was writing with a lot of people, but a lot of guys that aren't around anymore. And yeah. here's another thing. Like if, me. For, if songwriters are listening, <laughs> I did this. Everyone does it when they first come to town. If I can just write with Craig Wiseman... I'll get a hit because yeah. he has hits. If I can write with Hillary Lindsay, I'll yep. have hits because he already has hits. If I can just write with Liz Rose, I'll get hits because she already has hits. And that's not how it works. Yep. You have to find your own tribe and yep. you all rise together. And yep. I've learned there's such value in that because the music you're listening to, the way you see the world when you're 
not yet a hit writer. There's so much value in that. So if there's any up and coming future hit makers out there, yep. just remember, find your tribe and you'll all rise together and make a noise so loud that I'm just begging to write with you. Also, man, you're going to write with your five people or whatever, and you're going to start your own. I mean, country music is pretty limited, man. We've been trying to find a way to say, I love you for 75 years. Yeah. And you are finding a way to say, I love you with your lane, with your guys, with your girls. And that's, that's a whole voice of a, a whole, yeah, I guess voice is just what I'm trying to say of, yeah. of country music, you know, and you got your way of doing it. And FGL's got their way of doing it. And Luke's got his way of doing it. And Jason yes. Aldean's got his way of Jeffrey doing it. Steel, like Jeffrey Steele's got his way of doing radio. it. Radio, he's got his way of doing it. And I imagine when he first came to town, he probably wasn't writing with the hit writers of that time. No. He carved his own niche. Absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, that's, uh, that's so great. It's man. wild. And it doesn't get any easier. I mean, you know. People are like, well, you've had a few hits now. It must be really easy. But no, it's like you still have to wake up every day and try to yeah. write the best song in town and, and just and keep grinding, you know, but, but it's great. I'm, I'm lucky to, to, uh, have this job and, and yeah. I like my money where I can see it hanging in my closet. Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, I cover all this, every hit song I've written in my book, Party Like a Rockstar. I, I say, this is the title. This is where we got it. This is how my co-writers and I wrote it. Here's how it changed. Here's how we tried to make them stand out and get them on the radio. So it's fantastic. And, you know, writing songs is cheaper than therapy, so. So, wait a minute. You have a book coming out? Yes. What is it called again? Party Like a Rockstar. And where could people get this book? <laughs> I can't tell if he's joking or not. I've got 30 <laughs> copies around me. Party, uh, it's available everywhere books are sold. Any bookstore, anywhere online. Yeah, it's uh, Hachette put it out. The same people that put out the book, Eruption, sitting right here. Dude. Yeah, but anyway, let's, let's not talk about that book. Eddie Van Halen, yeah. That'll take us uh, all day. It's called Party Like a Rockstar, and I, I just, I couldn't be happier. I played a show at the listening room and a lady wrote me on Instagram. She said, I was at your show. I'm a book agent. Have you ever thought about writing a book? And I said, well, of course, of course, I've already started one. I lied through my teeth. And she said, <laughs> well, the next time you're in New York, you need to come to our office. This was pre uh, quarantine, of course. And I went up to New York and I said, hey, I was adopted and I worked for these crazy bands and I wrote these hits. And uh, they said, yeah, we're going to get you a book deal for sure. And it, and it actually happened. Yeah, man. Did you have to... Uh Go back and and sign get signed releases and everything from everybody in the book. No, <laughs> really, no, no, yeah. You I mean, just... I've never, I've never, I've never <laughs> signed any of those things where you have to. But my words are kind. I mean, the book opens yeah. up with me meeting uh, Keith Urban in a restroom. It's a true story. He apparently had liked the song somewhere with you. He didn't know he wrote it. Who wrote it? He didn't know anything about the song he just apparently liked it and i was literally at the ascap awards taking a leak and i said that's keith urban at the urinal so i waited for him and i introduced myself uh to him and that's how the book opens i, I i'm not gonna lie and say i'm best friends with the guy yeah. i hardly know him we've written some songs but i sent the book to him and i just said i hope you find my words to be kind and lincoln park have all read the book and there are a few people in the book that i'm mad at a lawyer called went through the whole book with me from the book company and i didn't know this um, it's not against the law to hold a grudge. Did you know that? I did so, if, not. so if you say like, yeah, this A and R guy really pissed me off and broke my heart, you can say that. <laughs> yeah. But what doesn't kill you makes your songs stronger. Is that a T-shirt? It should be. I like that. Yeah. I like that a lot. How long does it take to write a book? Uh, well, it's very uh, songs take about three or four hours to write. It takes about three or four years. So <laughs> I started it the year before the world changed, and then. Okay. I wrote it a lot during quarantine, but what was so great about writing the book is that if I was happy, I'd sit down at the computer and start writing. Or if I was bored on an airplane, I would say, I better work on the book. Or if I was nervous, like because a girl I liked wasn't calling me back, I would just put yeah. that energy into the book. I don't wait for girls to call me back now because I obviously have a book out, <laughs> but uh, I kind of miss how much time it took up in my life because you could work on it all the time, sitting yeah. at a stoplight. I'd, I'd leave a voice note to myself about something I remembered. Yeah. So, and the get, book is not very long. It's, it's, it's a fast read. Well, it's, it's a fun. couple hundred pages. I mean, oh, yeah, for sure. did you have like editing sessions and when an editor was riding, going through it and figuring out stuff and you were going like, well, no, you don't get to edit that story. That's not how that story happened. I, exactly. I told you how it happened. I had an incredible, the, the book company that put it out there called 12 books and I had two great editors and they would more move things around like puzzle pieces 
And they and, I, and the book just didn't come out perfect. I did about 10 drafts of it, and they kept reminding me, hey, these stories are great, but you need more images. And they didn't tell me this, but w- what I, I read all the time, as you do as well, look at all these yeah. books around here. <laughs> it, imagine, like, someone's looking at your Instagram, but they can't see it. So you have to describe what's in the scene. And I realized that's what if, so if anyone out there is thinking of writing a book, that's, what's going to make your book stand out. Like, you know, you can say, I went and did Bart's podcast today, or I can say, this is just going to be off the top of my head. You know, the door opened and 10 different guitars, the color of Rubik's cubes, all were charming me from the other side of the room. Bart with his, with his beard that looked like a cool uh, wrestler that, that could crunch you to the floor and his powder blue uh, hat, you know, whatever, you know, his pirate earring. So that's how I made the book better. And you know, if you read a lot of books, which you do, you'll say, wow, these images are great. You know, that girl I met today had a body that would make a Bishop kick a hole in a stained glass window, you know, that kind of thing. I don't even know what body white, like a bishop. I don't even know what that means. Yeah. No, I just she was very pretty is what it meant. Oh, yes. <laughs> so oh, JT was like a human pogo stick, with <laughs> chocolate brown hair like that. You know what I mean? So what do you think you learned about yourself when you were writing this book? I learned about myself. It's it's much easier to be really honest about things when you're. I mean, I'm just coming up with this off the top of my head. I, oh, yeah. about, I think I, I learned about myself that things that there's a few things in the book that weren't super easy to talk about. N- nothing that big, but I was like, I was adopted and it's been actually great, but putting other people's feelings into it. And, and I think I learned about myself. There are things that are not easy for me to talk about, but sitting alone in a room and typing it out yeah. and sending it to the book company was very easy. Does that make sense? It's almost yeah, like writing songs. Sure. Like yeah. I don't say in the book, you know, girls that have broken my heart. You know, my, my heart's been broken more than the ice cream machine at McDonald's, you know, yeah. and, it's, and it's gone into great songs. So when you're kind of writing it and it feels anonymous, it's much easier to be super honest, if that makes sense. Your family read this? Uh, my brother, Lance, who's in the book, he goes by his Native American name, Dances with Vodka. Okay. That's what I call him. <laughs> he read the book. My, and his wife told me that he was crying the whole time reading it. And I said, I said to his wife, I said, well, it's, it's more of a comedy. <laughs> and she said, crying I know it's just very emotional for him, but there's not, the book is not sad, yeah. but he was just like, it's just like my life passing before my eyes. I was yeah. playing Monopoly with the Jaws theme in the background and, and whatever else. Uh, so no, he, he's the only one. Everyone else has ordered it and they're anxiously awaiting it. I think sometimes something like that makes all of your experiences super real. Mm-hmm. Like you remember, you know, nailing your brother dances like vodka <laughs> in the head with a clod when you were seven. Totally. But when it's in the book, you go, Holy crap, that really happened. Exactly. And then exactly. it's super real. And, and we just kind of live in this, this make believe kind of world, this music business, you know I mean? You brought up Craig earlier, and Amy, my super hot trophy model wife, yes, worked for Craig. Good, good image, yeah, Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) She worked for Craig for eleven years, and Craig had his what was it? His high school reunion. I think it was his thirtieth. And some guy came up to him and went, "So you just sit in a room and make stuff up?" (laughs) And Craig goes, "Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess that's what I do." And he goes, "That must be easy." And Craig, <laughs> and, and Craig goes, why don't you give it a shot? Yeah. You know, why don't you knock it out of the park, bud, and just see. So, I mean, that's, that's like, that's why I, I think our lives are, I mean, between the check stubs, our lives are very imaginary almost, mm-hmm. you know, and songs are very imaginary. Absolutely. You know, and that's, but that's, what's magical about them to me Yes, is you can make up a song, you know, about, you know, I, I took the trash to the dump today. Well, hell yeah. yeah. That's a Molly. Well, I took song. the dump to the trash today. And bam. Yeah, yeah. There you go. <laughs> More of an emo thing. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I don't know, man. That, that's, that's fun stuff. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, it's, it's very, yeah, it's fantastic. And you know, someone asked me what was the hardest part of the book to write, and they thought I was going to say something all emotional or whatever, because I've been doing a lot of fun interviews. But it just dawned, it dawned on me today. The hardest part of the book to write was, there's a small chapter on 
how to write a melody. And like, mm. it's so hard to explain because you yeah. know, melodies are mysterious and magical. Yep. So I kind of breezed over that, but I did my best. Yeah. What'd you say? If you I, don't could, re- I don't remember. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know what? I don't know about you, but I mean, I don't know if you keep a journal by your table when you're watching TV, because there's so many things you'll you'll see. Or uh, I'll get out of bed at night and I'll go. To, I'll tell Amy, I go, I got to go downstairs and write this down and I'll come down here and I just got to record this little. Oh, totally. Thing. Yeah, I do it in my phone. Yeah. And I do remember, I mean, I don't remember exactly because I've been looking through the book. I did the audio book for it. Apparently Denzel Washington was unavailable. <laughs> but uh, And I was, was reading too- it, I was thinking, oh my gosh, I forgot I wrote this or I don't think I could write this again. I basically just said things like, <laughs> if the guitar chords are really complicated and there's lots of notes going on, make the melody over it simple, long notes. Oh, and the same so thing, great. same thing, yeah. the opposite. If the guitar chords are zing, real simple, fill it up with some cool, uh, cool, maybe faster melodies Or also when people are writing songs. These are, it's hard to explain, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, a lot of people are always like coming in on like, this is the drum beat. I think it's called the one, like, you know, your lips taste like sangria. See how it's on the drum beat like that yeah. the whole time? The yeah. whole song's like that. So do another melody where it comes in in between. Only thing I want to do tonight is drink you like a span. So if yeah. you're a songwriter, if you're always coming in at the same place, come in at different places and mix it up a bit, you know? Fast lyrics, slow lyrics. Uh, yeah, you, you know. It's in the book. A- <laughs> <laughs> do you write a lot by yourself? Not a ton, which is funny. Before I came to Nashville, that's all I did. I don't, yeah. I don't even think I knew co-writing is a thing. I mean, I knew that the Beals wrote their songs together and the Stones and Elton John and Bernie Taupin. But uh, I do sometimes for fun. Yeah. And it would really, I think it would be great for the ego to write a song all by yourself that someone records. But it, man, when you take an idea in, you know... And someone sees it from a completely different Dude, angle it's so and they put great. their spin on it. It's great. It's, it's fantastic. So, so I, I love co-writing and I'm fortunate enough to have hits and call up your buddy and yeah. say, Hey, this was on, you know, new year's rocking Eve or Hey man, I heard it on the radio today. I mean, it would be interesting to do that alone. You know, it's, it's, I, it, might, it wouldn't be as fun alone. I don't think my problem with writing by myself is I never know when the song is done. No. Oh, yeah. Because like if I'm riding with you and you go, cool, that's it. Sign, sign, sign. See you later. Yeah. And th- then I know the song is done. But when I'm riding by myself, I never know if that verse is, is as good as it could be. Is that chorus done? Is that music where it needs to go? Oh, for sure. You know, yeah. and it's, it's really hard yeah. to know when I'm done with that song. But no, exactly. No, of course, because you're like, could this be better? I do that all the time. Yeah, that's that. That's it in a nutshell. A song I write with my buddies takes about an afternoon. A song I write by myself, I'm working on for a couple months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Plus, blessedly, everybody I write with is better than me. So they are the guys that are going to wave the checkered flag. Yeah, you know, totally. totally. See that? Another great analogy. You need to write a book. Come on. Yeah. He stopped the song as if he was a NASCAR (laughs) driver waving a checkered flag. Yeah. So as a writer. His hair reminded me of Dana Kirkpatrick. Oh, Danica, she's so cute. Yeah. What do you think all this Spotify crap that's going on right now? I mean, as a writer, yeah. do, you, do you feel you're getting hosed all the time by Spotify? Well, when I see the reports, yeah, I do. And I even talked about that in my, in my book. And the, probably one of the best things that ever happened to me, uh, the other part, Bart Herbison, who runs NSAI, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, National Songwriter Association International. I think that's yeah, what it's called. I think it is. So uh, he's taken me to Washington several times oh, before great. quarantine. And man, you know, my Eddie Van Halen tape guitar goes through the metal detector <laughs> of Congress. When you're walking through the halls of Congress, have you ever done it? Yes. Yeah. Your shoes are clicking in the halls. It's yeah, a humbling it's, experience. It's very, yeah. So I went into one of the offices cause we go there to talk to them about how the songwriting royalties are, are too low. Right. And I'll never forget it. I just said, Hey everybody, uh, you know, if this table in front of us, if someone makes that table, they should be paid for it, don't you think? And Bart Herbison, Bart Herbison pounded the table like he was like a championship whack-a-mole player. And he said, <laughs> bullshit, anyone can make a table. You have a special skill. Now play a little sangria. <laughs> and, right. and, I'm, and all these you know, beautiful interns are there. So that was great. I just think, listen, there's so many songs in my computer 
collecting electronic dust yeah, that no, no one will ever hear. Right. I don't expect to be paid for those. But when someone downloads it a billion times and they're throwing Frisbees to it and they're listening to it, you know, at a first kiss or at a father daughter dance. Yeah. I just, we just expect, I expect to be paid fairly for that. Yeah. That's all I'm asking. And you know what? I've done really well. I'm really lucky, but there's a whole generation coming up and they deserve to be paid. Songwriting is a real job. You know, we're not in, in our basements just smoking bongs, you know, well, anymore. The funny thing is, is <laughs> anymore. The funny thing is, is that the whole pay schedule started out in the thirties with this number. And in the seventies, we got a little bit better. And then three years ago, we got a lot better. And then Spotify agreed to it and then sued to get a lower rate again. Yeah. You know, and you, you kind of just go like, again, you know, Scott Borchetta, again, one of my best buddies, has that suit that says music has value on it. Oh, I love that. I need one of those. And we, Spotify doesn't understand that music has value. You know, I used to have uh, conversations with radio stations when I was doing record promotion. And the Dixie Chicks, who I love, threw out the award show, award show, award show, award show, eventually just kind of forgot to start thanking people. And they didn't thank the record company. They didn't thank uh, country radio. They didn't thank their publicists. They didn't thank anybody. And radio stations started busting my hump about it, saying, I can't believe they didn't thank country radio. Wow. You know, and I went, yeah, I know. I, we'll talk to him about that. And then it started kind of really pissing me off. And I was saying, like, I go, you know what? When's the last time you thanked country record companies? Because without us, you would be a talk station. Exactly. Yeah. So why don't you think about that for a sec? And it just, it's, but it's kind of the same thing that we everybody needs to get paid, man. And we, we it, it's hard to put a dollar value on creativity because you can't hold it in your hand. Yeah, exactly. You can hold a gold record. You can hold a guitar. You can hold a bumper of your car. Yeah, you can hold an NFT. Oh, wait a minute. No, you no. can't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, I, I don't even know what that is. I will <laughs> never understand that. <laughs> okay, <go ahead. laughs> but, you know, I mean, a guy like, you know, Neil Young, you know, going up against Joe Rogan after he sold his catalog for, I think, $50 million. Yeah, something like that. And th and now he's starting to bust balls. It's like, really? <laughs> Dude, I don't, I don't understand what you're so mad about. You've already made your money. But anyway, that, yeah, that's totally. a whole nother well, I, You subject. know what? Thank God for radio, you know? I still have songs on the radio. Oh, shoot, man. It's, yeah. it's the best thing in the world. Totally. I, and and I'm, I'm down to help. I, don't, I mean, I don't understand it all, but uh, and I don't think the listeners are doing anything wrong when you say, no. you know, hey, Alexa, Shoot, you know, play no, me Van man. Halen. It's like, yeah. But, you know, hopefully something will change and they'll, and they'll all work it out because yeah. songwriters deserve to get paid for hits. They do. Absolutely. And you know what? Everybody should be playing Eddie Van Halen. That's true. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> do you want to do my lightning round? Oh, I'd love to. Okay. This is I have a suit with a lightning bolt on it. I should have worn it. Oh, crap. Yeah. I didn't even think about yeah. that. I love that suit, by the way. This is basically... I'm throwing out questions. I love it. I did. I was you, on VH1 Rock and Roll Jeopardy, baby. Oh, that that's me. right. Yeah. What's your favorite book and who are your favorite authors? My favorite book is uh, Grapes of Wrath, but oh. my favorite author, I don't even know how to say his name, is Chuck Palahunik. Oh, he yeah. He wrote The Fight Club. Yep. He wrote, he wrote this uh, great, incredible book called Stories You Can't Unread. I mean, the guy puts out a book like once a year or more, and every one of them are fantastic. Is the, I don't know how he thinks of this stuff. Is the unread thing about the deal, the guy at the bottom of the swimming pool? No, no, the stories you can't unread are, are all short stories. Okay. They're all really wild. I yeah. mean, it's, it's not for this podcast, but it's great. Yeah. But I don't know how to say his name, Chuck Pollen yeah, I know who you're but saying. But he wrote Fight Club. Yes, yes, yes. Are you a bath or a shower guy? Oh, I'm I'm definitely a shower guy. Nice. <laughs> but I do get massages, and I do like <laughs> to get a good pedicure every now and then. What's the last gift you gave someone? Wow, I give gifts all the time, and <laughs> you can laugh. A buddy of mine's birthday is this weekend. I sent him a copy of my book, Party nice. Like a Rockstar. But no, I love. Giving gifts, something that I think in one of my earliest memories is of my mom. Uh, there was a there was a mm. uh, new fire station uh, in our neighborhood, and she made a cake. And the fire hoses were red licorice, and the tires were Oreos. And I've That's never forgotten so that. And so I always I love giving gifts. Yeah, 
it doesn't take much, does it? No, no. To no. let somebody know you're thinking about them exactly. and you just love them. Exactly. Yeah. Do you believe in Bigfoot? I do because I kind of didn't, but I read Rob Lowe's book called Love Life. Did you? No. And he was obsessed with Bigfoot as a kid and they would go, he took his kids to some city, I forget where it is, where there used to be Bigfoot sightings and he had gotten over his Bigfoot obsession. He was, a, Rob Lowe, the actor, was obsessed with it as a kid. Okay. And he says in his book that he's somewhere, I don't know, Yosemite or somewhere way up at north and he was like, uh, oh, and there's like, you know, Bigfoot funny pictures and stuffed animals. I'm paraphrasing here. And he said something like, oh, yeah, any Bigfoot sightings? He said it as a joke. And this older lady behind the <laughs> counter said, well, not so much anymore, like with all the tourists and everything. Something like that. And Rob Lowe said his jaw hit the floor. He was like, wait a minute. This lady thinks she has had like a Bigfoot experience in this area. So when I read that, I was like, because apparently they would make some noise in the night. And so that stood out to me. I read that book recently mm. and I was like, Rob Lowe was like, what, what is she talking about? His story is way better than mine, but he was driving in his car thinking, oh my gosh, is this thing real after all these years? Yeah. Oh. That's great. Yes. So what's the first concert you saw? How old were you? And did you get a t-shirt? Absolutely. The first concert I saw was uh, uh, Ozzy Osbourne with special guest Motley Crue. What? Yeah, yeah. And I saw that tour. Yeah, and of course with I got Jakey a Lee playing guitar. Yes, yes. Yep. And uh, of course I got a T-shirt, and it was probably the loud. My dad took me. He worked at a talk <laughs> at, radio station. Bark at the Moon. Uh, was it that? Yep. Oh yeah, Bark at the yep. Moon. Yeah, you remember better than I do. And uh, my dad worked at a talk radio station, so he would go and trade his football tickets for concert tickets. <sighs> and so we went. The loudest experience in my life. I mean, my my, yep. my my fillings were shaking. It was so loud. And, you know, Motley Crue opened up, smashing their guitars, throwing them in the audience because they were mad. Ozzy comes on, the sparks and everything. And my, my, my eyes had like, you know, they were flashing like after a camera at a kid's birthday party. My ears were ringing. And the reason I tell you this, at the end of the loudest experience in my life, I turned to my left and my dad is sound asleep. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to like his giant shoulder, his football shoulder. I was shaking. I'm like, dad, dad, it's over. And you know, he took a deep breath. He was like, what a bunch of wild Indians, you know? And, and the place smelled like Cheech and Chong's birthday party. I mean, yeah, it was like, that was my dad. I mean, it's a superhero to me. Oh, you know? so I stood great. on my toes. Cause we were on the main floor. I could, I couldn't see over everybody, but yeah, it's so funny. My I ears are still ringing from that. Dude. I love that tour. And Vince was... Neil said things to the girls that would have made Andrew Dice Clay blush. You know, Vince just lives down the road. I didn't know that. Yep. He turns over there. He turned 61 today. Oh, wow. Yep. Yeah. So what was the last movie you saw in a theater? Oh, Jackass. I saw it a couple nights ago. What? Yeah, it was incredible. The, the, the new Jackass. The brand new. And I didn't really follow them through the years, but the new Jackass is what the world needs right now. You will laugh. You won't believe it. No spoiler alerts. You're just like, you're cringing. You're laughing and everything. Yeah. No, listen, I, I don't mind telling you. I've had my, my shots. I still wear a mask, but I love going to the movies. Yep. I need to be inspired. Totally. So yep. I, I, went to, I went to see that, and uh, I saw... Uh, what? Yeah, that's the last movie I saw. This is around. Yeah, so great. Yeah. What was your nickname growing up? Uh, when I was real little, it was Skipper, and then my <laughs> real name is John Thomas. And they said, "Hey, listen, you're getting a little old for Skipper. Do you want John or Thomas?" And in a young move in the marketing mind of myself, I said, what about JT? Because Ooh, John seemed nice. plain, Tom is, yeah, yeah. And it's much, JT is much easier to spell in the snow. Yeah, I'm from Michigan. <laughs> so uh, take with that what you will. <laughs> and uh, I'm glad, dude, listen. My book, my book is, is brand new and not a lot of people have read it yet, but there's all these stories are in there and you're laughing your head off. So I think this is going to be a hit because these are wait. all in there. I can't yeah. wait to read yeah. it. If money was no object, what guitar or piece of gear would you buy? Wow. I'm not a big gearhead, but, and so it's probably, Ooh, can I get a few things? Yeah. Definitely a big drum set. So I just bought it about it about, but also I'd probably get, what is it called? The Paul Stanley with the handle on it. Oh, the Iceman. Yeah. The Paul Stanley Iceman. Yeah. Nice. And let's be honest. I could, I could probably afford one of those, but if you said money is no object. Okay. If money was really no object, I'd say I would like an Iceman that somehow works acoustically so I could play it at songwriter rounds. I mean, I guess I could play it electric. Yeah. Oh. And my acoustic guitar right now, I tape it up. It's got pink tape like Pepto-Bismo and white tape. I have the Eddie Van Halen stripes on it. I did it myself just so it, you know, pops a little at these shows, you know? I love that. Yeah. What's your favorite song you've ever written, hit or not? 
I'm going to have to go with Smile, a song I wrote with Uncle Cracker, probably because it's my biggest, and not, that's not as shallow as it sounds. Uh, oh, yeah. Just because... You know, you I, I hear it on TV and, yeah. and, you know, every time I go to a Walgreens or a CVS, it's playing. And I always say I'm hot at the pharmacies, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, people play it in hospitals and, and yeah. weddings and, and Kathy Lee, when, uh, Regis, I think it was retired, all these people held up these signs and they played smile. So oh, it's super fun to have a yeah. song like that. My mom liked it. So it's, it, that, that's fun. There's a lot of connecting moments with that song. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What song do you wish you would have written or maybe played on? I mean, like, how long is this podcast? There's so many. Just okay, off the top of my head, I mean, uh, there's so many. Boys of Summer, Don Henley, Father Figure, George Michael, uh, Mm. The Beautiful Ones by Prince. There's a lot of ballads. (laughs) Let me think about this. Uh, Well, you're sensitive. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, (laughs) I mean, there's so many. Just what songs? Yeah. There's so many. So I, I saw this movie the other night called Tick, Tick, Boom. Have you seen it? Mm-mm. So the guy that wrote Rent, do you know this? So the guy that wrote the play, I don't love musicals, but the guy that wrote Rent was 35 years old. He was not successful. He died the night before it was released. And it's won wow. every award. It's been on Broadway for 20, 30 years or 15, whatever. Imagine that. The guy passed away. Yeah. So a um, a musical he wrote before that about him struggling, not a musical, I don't know, a play, is called Tick, Tick, Boom. And then it's a movie now. There's a song in it called Come to Your Senses. Mm-hmm. And once again, I don't love musicals, but when I saw this song, Come to Your Senses, it, 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 it felt like someone dumped cold water down my shirt. I was like, if I've ever written something that makes someone feel like that, then I can sleep peacefully at night. But, you know, I mean, geez, you know, I mean, all these Van Halen songs, Prince, Born in the USA, I wish I wrote, you know, The River, I wish I wrote. There's so many. Dude, I've been uh, obsessing with uh, Jeff Lynn and ELO lately, and there's a song called Wild West Hero that I don't, I don't very often try to learn other people's songs because I can hardly play my own songs. Yeah. <laughs> so, but this song has just got it says me. the gu- guitar with more guitars than a well, guitar center. I got more yeah. guitars than talent. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but this song, Wild West Heroes, is just, is just eating me up, man. It, it, the, the melody of it is just so brilliant. that Totally. Speaking of Wild West, is it called Wild West Heroes? Yeah. Yeah, also I heard the other day on the, on the radio, Wild Horses by the Stones, and oh. it's like... It's so simple, but yeah, yeah. I mean, there's so many songs I wish I'd written. Mm. <laughs> if you were cremated, where would you want your ashes? Wow, dumped? wow, this is a this is a. <laughs> I, if I was cremated, I would like my ashes sprinkled over the '80s, my friend, sprinkled nice. over the '80s. <laughs> like I said, Vince Neil is just down the street. Yes, definitely. So, what would you be doing if you weren't doing this? I'd probably be trying to do this. You know, I mean, really? I. I well, it's, it's interesting to look back. I mean, if I, if nothing had ever happened for me, would I still yeah. be doing this? I don't know, but yeah, that's great. Man. I mean, maybe, right. I mean, I'm looking at the book. I don't think I'd be writing books, but I would probably be writing articles maybe for music magazines. Do they still have those or maybe working for bands, but I'm glad I never had to fi- find out. I'm, I mean, I've been very fortunate. I don't, I don't know what, what I would have been doing because this is all I wanted to do. And I did it long before I ever made a dime, you know, working at record stores, working at the yogurt store. I probably, I would have followed the music wherever it would have led me. Come on, man. I would have been discovered somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> do you think, uh, do you think people can still come to town and make a living as writers? Uh, absolutely. I'm, you do? I'm not going to be the dream crusher. I, no, I, mean, I don't mean it that way. I just oh, mean yeah. the way, I mean, every artist now is a writer. And I mean, it, it's so hard to get outside cuts and stuff unless you're working with that artist. So you still think you still think the I, doors I still are think, open? I think so. Here's all I, I know. Hope so, I mean, man. here's I hope all so. I know. I meet new writers all the time asking yeah. for advice. And I'm so into, so, uh, I'm so I'm signed to Sony publishing, Rusty yeah. Gaston, who runs it, who's a hero. You could plug him in. He could light Las Vegas. Absolutely. Uh, he's told me he signed a new writer every single week during quarantine. And, and he's not talking about buying Bob Dylan catalogs. He's yeah. signing, signing new writers. And I'm, I mean, great. he must be, you know, they must be making money or writing songs. So I, I definitely believe so. I mean, songwriting is not going to go away. Good, 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 good. Yeah. I what wish you, I had a better example for everyone. But no, I, that's but fantastic. Yeah. That's encouraging. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you listening to for fun these days? 
Man, I love the the. 80s uh, metal uh, hair metal channel on XM and yeah. the 80s channel, but yeah. I also listen to the highway. I, I do love XM radio because it's commercial free, but I pay for it. I'm not yeah. one of these guys like I want totally. everything free. Yep. And I'm just always on the lookout for a brand new song, like I told you, like I saw in that musical. And that, that's about it. I just I I'm always spinning back to those 80s channels. I just love the nostalgic feeling yeah. it gives me. It's kind of. <laughs> It's, it's, it's nice because it kind of makes you comfortable. It kind of makes you, it's like a hug. It's like a warm hug. You hear girls, 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 and you go, oh, yes, that's nice. See the analogies (laughs) you're using? This is exactly, you know, an editor is not going to have to tell you to. I love getting hugs from girls, girls, girls. That's all I'm saying. Exactly. Exactly. So what's next for you, man? Man, I'm just uh, writing all the time now that uh, it looks like the, the world's opening up a bit. Lot, lots of songwriter shows. I love traveling. It recharges my creative battery. And what's great is now I'm doing these songwriter shows and uh, the books are there. So I not only can play a wild show, talk to people about the book, and it's fantastic. Do you still write it with L.A. folks? Are you pretty much writing in, in Nashville now? No, pretty much just write in Nashville. Yeah. If some come through, I'll do it. Nashville... People from L.A. come to here for a few days and yeah. say, I want to get a country hit. Why didn't it work out? Same thing. You can go to L.A. for a few days and say, well, why didn't I write a song that Beyonce right. used? You really, you really have to have a foothold in each of these places. Yeah. Not that you can't come back and forth, but I do write with L.A. people if they come through town. I'm open to it. I, I, that's what's so magical about writing songs and yeah. frustrating. You never know. You might sit in a room with someone for a couple hours and write a song of the year. So you never know what's going to happen. So I try to be pretty open to <laughs> it all. And I would love to write songs in New York City, but even before the pandemic, most of the songwriters moved out of there because yeah. maybe the rents are so high or something. But uh, I love New York City. I always found that writing with rock guys and girls, they all wanted to write country stuff, and I wanted to write rock stuff. Absolutely. <laughs> so we would go like... <laughs> All right, we're going to write a country song today, but next time we're writing a rock song. Yeah, like, exactly, right, exactly. Right. So where can folks get your book? Everywhere? Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say everywhere. Any bookstore and any uh, any place you buy it online or whatever. It's real. Awesome. J.T. Harding, Party Like a Rock Star. And if you love the sound of my voice and your naked steaming earlobes, I did the audio book <laughs> as well, which was really fun. This has all been an unexpected <laughs> thrill, but you're going to cry when you read my book because it's so funny. What so, are your socials, man? Where can people see you? Instagram, Facebook, everywhere? Real easy. It's at JTX Rockstar. All the cool names were taken. <laughs> yeah. Real, it's real easy to find. I'm not, you know, trying to hide out, you know. JTX Rockstar. Yes, yes. Perfect. Thanks Dude. so much, Bart. This was fantastic. Thanks for doing everything you're doing. You're bringing important information to people. You had oh, Mark man. Slaughter on here. You didn't you have a guy on that promotes records? I mean, it's not just songwriters yeah. on here. Yeah. And, and Ricky Medlock from Skinner and some of the Tesla guys. Yeah. It's just like, you so know what, great. man, yeah. I'm, I'm just blessed that I have friends like you that'll come all the way out here to disgrace land and just look at guitars and go, eh, blue is nice. Yes. Yeah. That's cool. Well, thanks a lot, man. Thank you. Yes. Can't wait to do it again. Talk Woo! to you soon. Yep. Thanks for listening. People. Yeah.